Hey, Mr. Andrew, how you doing? Hello to our one audience member. Well, there might be more than that now. You, Who knows? There's not. Knows? I'm, I'm looking. It just says Chaos Eight. You, you oh, you have little faith. <clears throat> it has nothing to do with faith. I can read. Mm. Mm. You know, that's that's what all the scientists say. <laughs> that's that's true. They do say they can read. Uh, and yeah, uh, Andrew. While we're uh, while we're chatting about movies here for a second, uh, rewatching Hannibal. I watched Red Dragon last night. Um, so I'm, I'm with you there. Now, um, wasn't there two Red Dragons? Yes. Yes. Okay. There's Manhunter, which was the first one. That's right. That's right. And then there was. Then there Red was Dragon. Red Dragon with. With uh, yeah. Ray Fines, right? Yes, Ray Fines and um, Edward Norton. Yes, as Will Graham and yeah. Manhunter. I I should know, but I'm not going to be Man, able to tell you. Manhunter, the the main investigator, was the guy that ended up being on CSI. William Peterson. William Peterson. Yes, and. Who was who was was the was the was the uh, antagonist? Was that Doctor Lecter, or was it a different? Well, it wasn't. In, 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 it wasn't. Well, I mean, he's not the true right, one. Right, um, that's right. Because he was the one. It was like you know, very much he was consulting Lecter. But who who played yeah, Lecter? It's, um. Um. Brian Cox. Brian Cox, and then the the main bad guy. I wouldn't be able to tell you. I don't remember. I don't know his name, but isn't he? This is dumb. Isn't he also the main bad guy in the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Last Action Hero? I, you are asking the wrong person. <laughs> but okay. but maybe Chat knows if we're thinking of the same person. <laughs> maybe Chat um, knows. All all. Oh, Ulysses! Ulysses, come on, help me out. Ulysses is here. Help me out. Who was the main bad guy? I'm gonna have to look it up. Um, Tom Noonan. Yes. Who was? Yeah, yeah. Tom Noonan. Good job, Ulysses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So, uh, Andrew Buffalo Bill. Oh, oh, yep. wait, wait. Hang on a minute. So interesting. Hmm. 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 Um, I don't know. Okay, Francis Dollar. <clears throat> Francis Dollar Hyde was the character. He Francis played Dollar in Hyde. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Andrew is saying that Manhunter is way better than Red Dragon. Oh. Okay. Um, I'm considering that. I think that's a that's worth thinking about for a moment. Um. So, Red Dragon was directed by Brett Ratner, right? Yes, that's who it was. Um, and Brett Ratner is an action movie director. And watching uh, Red Dragon again last night, I 100% feel like that movie 
<laughs> has dialogue and cuts like it's an action movie, even though it's not. Um, yes, and Manhunter is a Michael Mann movie. You're absolutely right, Ulysses. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that um, in my mind, like, <clears throat> there's something, there's an energy that Brett Ratner brought to that movie that I really like. Um, and I think even though it's not the Will Graham that I prefer, I really like uh, Edward Norton's interpretation of Will Graham. I think Ray Fiennes as uh, Francis Dollarhide is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a really easy movie to watch, personally. Um, but I think, I think that Manhunter is a very subjective is a... term. <laughs> There's nothing crazy. That's the other thing is that movie does not have much crazy in it. I don't remember. Well, yeah, I think you're right. Cause I, I'm, I'm kind of, cause sometimes they all kind of. Yep. I agree. 100%. Blend, right. Blend but, okay. A bit, so, so the pigs, so the things that people remember, right? The pigs, that's a different movie. <laughs> so that's a different movie. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the feed, the feeding, the feeding of the. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, different movie. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, so there's 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 uh, there's not a lot of like grotesque imagery in Red Dragon. I think that um, yeah, it shouldn't be light, easy, fair. That's fair. Um, Manhunter is a beautiful movie. There's some crazy shots in there. Some beautiful like like one of the things that Michael Mann does that. Um, a lot of the other things don't uh, a lot of the other movies and the TV show doesn't do to some extent is Michael Mann doesn't care what the actual buildings would look like. If you remember like, um, uh, is it the FBI headquarters and you have at the beginning and you see the guy just like running down these stairs? Yes. Yes. The circular. Like, the that's yeah. Like, no, that's not, but, but it was just for the shot. It's for the visual, right? It's for like, you know, he's running around in circles and it's, 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 there's a point to it. It's symbolic. It's, it's interesting, but it's 100% not practical or realistic or explainable. It's right. just, that was a cool shot. Okay. And now there's another point. When, when is symbolism good and when is it lost? When is it, when is it overdone? Like, is that symbolism is the fact that he used that, that strange architecture to represent an FBI headquarters just so that he could get some semblance of, of running around in a circle. Was that, was he probably that had good? a different, let me, let me, yeah, real quick. Let me give Michael Mann a little bit of credit. It probably is deeper than just running around in a circle. But that's that's all Zach could. That was the layer that Zach. Right. To. That's that's what I'm saying. When when is it yeah. good symbolism, and when is it like, dude, you're going way too deep. Nobody's going to get it. Hmm. And the only people that get it are the ones that read it on IMDb, IMDb, and go, oh yeah, I got that. I got that right away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Andrew's asking where can he do this. Uh, I believe Amazon has access to all of the uh, Hannibal movies now, at the moment. You, through is he asking where Michael. to watch, or where where can he run a, run around in circles in the FBI headquarters? Fair enough. There's, I don't think that's. An, I, I think that's like an art museum or something. I th yeah, um, yeah. Um, well, Troy, I, 
my my knee jerk statement is to say that symbolism is only too much when it gets in the way of everyone else. Okay. Like go as deep as you want, as long as at least for entertainment like this, go as deep as you want, um, as long as you're still accessible from the top. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's 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 a good point. That's a that's a fair point. Um, to tie this into like you know gaming, we see a lot of a lot of that when uh, adventure designers uh, try to like make a puzzle or or something like that and try to relate it to what's going on in the adventure or relate it to lore that the characters would totally know and understand. Mm-hmm. And it might be something that's very obvious to them, but you're giving it to people that are removed from that setting in a way that, you know, they, they don't get it. And now they're, they're flummoxed and upset because well, it's something that's so obvious to the DM, but mm. you know, most players. Yeah. Are Andrew says it, if it gets in the way of story too much, uh, and Ulysses says symbolism shouldn't be about, should be a balance between not super obvious. And you have an aha moment later. I like that a yeah. lot. I like, I, I agree with both of those statements. I love the idea of symbolism's job is to stay with you and give you revelation. I think that's a, that's a cool concept. And I kind of like, keeping it with with you know, Hannibal the character of Hannibal I I like how they present it in like Silence of the Lambs you know there is symbolism in that movie like with the death's head moth and, and all mm-hmm. these different things but you don't get it as a person watching this movie you have no context to understand what that symbolism is supposed to be and so mm-hmm. you you are very much especially in that movie you are very much on the shoulder of Clarice Starling trying to figure this stuff out and I like mm-hmm. how, uh, you know, they kind of walk you through the steps. You might, you might figure it out before she does. You might pick up on the clues a little bit faster, but you are very much her in her shoes, mm-hmm. getting this information to put together what that symbol is. And I, and I like that if, and you know, cause that's the one counter argument to both of those things where if, if Clarice wasn't getting the information to figure out what the symbolism meant, then it would get a, get in the way of the story. But she is, and so that helps you helps you process. And you're just like, oh my gosh, that's really because I don't I don't think it's great when you can have that aha moment. Go, oh, I figured it out. But it's completely unfair for those people that don't have that aha moment to not have it because that's part of the story. That's part of what's going on. And I also so you're saying like Clarice is there to make sure that you get it yes. because she's going to get it on screen. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and if you don't have that character that is going to get it regardless, then you're left out. You're kind of you know you you never mm-hmm. get it. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I that's interesting. I agree with both. I agree both with Ulysses and and Andrew on their points. But yeah, I feel like sometimes a director or a writer relies way too much on their own cleverness be- to think oh this is going to be so obvious this reveal is going to be so aha momentish but it's so obscure and so heavily masked that you the, don't get it my kids like riddles right their school does this thing where like 
I feel like it's every day. It's certainly once a week. The school over the intercom does a riddle. Mm-hmm. And like the class that answers it first gets a thing. Right. So they, they like riddles. And so uh, they they like the riddles there. They love the riddles in The Hobbit, things like mm-hmm. that. Right. Um, and they were giving riddles to each other the other day. Um, made up riddles. So we're talking about what what is a riddle's purpose? Um, and it's kind of the same thing, right? And like, I think a riddle is actually should be designed to be solved, right? Right. Um, it, it's not that, and, and really it's not about, I mean, that's why Gollum says that to Bilbo, that it's not fair, <laughs> but he says, what have I got in my pockets? Right. Because that's not designed to be solved. That's designed not to be solved. Right. Um, well, unless, unless and you beat the so, guy up and rolling. That's right. Exactly. Um, but, but that's, that's why we like the riddles that Bilbo gives and that, and that, uh, Gollum gives, uh, even if we don't figure them out before we read the answer two lines later, because once we read the answer, we're like, Oh, Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. I could see that. Okay. That's cool. Right. Like, but, but with my kids and, and with movies, if it's revealed to you and you still don't get it, or you're like, ah, you know, like, like I would never have figured that out. That there was, that was way too obtuse, right? Mm-hmm. Then it's defeated the whole purpose, right? So it's not just about it being yes. a dumb riddle. It's about riddles walk that fine line. I think symbolism does too of being solvable. I don't know. Yeah, I'm a golem apologist. Yeah, uh, you got me. You got yeah, me. Yeah. See, okay, so that this is a this is a fun little thing we should record, but um. <laughs> but it takes me like okay so the movie saw the very first saw movie mm-hmm. i argue it's lazy writing because at no point in the movie do you have any ability to determine that the guy laying in the basement dead that neither uh mm-hmm. neither character can get to there is no way for anyone to determine that th- that that's actually jigsaw mm-hmm. and then you have this reveal at the end where he just gets up and it's like, now to me, that's not fair. It's like, you <laughs> didn't have enough faith in your writing to give us any clue that that was him. Cause yeah, you didn't want anybody like, to figure it out. You wanted it to be a surprise, but that's not fair. That you cheated. You, you just put this random, cause we don't know. Random, so random let me dead ask body in the middle of this. It, it, it makes is, sense. Is that, is that, was that meant to be, I'm not disagreeing with you, but is that meant to be a riddle or mystery, or is it meant to be a twist? Because it's, it, to me, it's I'm still a, not I'm cool. fair either way. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm fine with if they want to pull a right angle, right? If they want to, if they want to turn us 90 degrees and go a whole different direction with something, I don't see it coming as, you know, like that to me is a twist. and. I don't care necessarily as much if I don't see a twist coming, right? Or I don't have a the wherewithal to figure out a twist before it hits, right? Um, right. But I'm not saying that this is an example, that the best example. Yeah. You know, just because mm. you didn't pick, because to me, like, 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 uh, um, Sixth Sense, is that a yeah. twist or is that a riddle? Yeah. Because I argue that it's both because they're yeah 
Shyamalan is giving you clues all the way through that yeah. he's dead. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. It's it's clues, and so I feel like it's it's a it's a riddle more than it's a twist. But because but but then the question becomes like, is there anybody that figured it out ahead of time? I'm sure there is. I but like like right before the reveal, I was sitting there and they're having this kind of thing, and I'm like, he's dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And as soon so, as like, I said it, they revealed it. Mm-hmm. And that, that's mm-hmm. like my claim to fame right there is I, I figured it. But it was like, <laughs> it was, I, I mean, literally seconds before they revealed it on the screen, it was like, dude, he's been dead this whole time. And that's right. it was like, boom. And, and that's what I like. Give me little clues that I can pick up on and process. If I don't get it in the twist hits, that's fine. But mm-hmm. then, but then go back and like kind of say, "See, this is the, we showed you right here, and we showed you right here, and we showed you right here." But it was so, it was so well done and so subliminal. You you may or may not have picked up on it. With Saw, mm-hmm. there was nothing. So to me, it wasn't really mm-hmm. a twist. It was a gotcha. It was like, "Ha ha! I've been here the whole time." <laughs> and it's like, hmm. what? Interesting. That was that well, was a whole episode in and of itself, right there. That's right. That's an episode. There you go, folks. Hello and welcome to Geek Scant, the home of RPG goodness and general tomfoolery. As you've been listening, because we do what we want. Twenty-five minutes. That's right. Uh, I'm your host Zach, and I'm joined by my co-host Troy Sandlin. Uh, and then there is the schmuck who disappears, uh, who John is not with us this evening. Filthy casual. Filthy casual. Uh, so, uh, I've actually got a pretty interesting article and I should have sent this to you ahead of time. Um, but, and I think you've got some news too. And then, uh, we're going to talk just a little bit about, uh, Spelljammer and just some, just some thoughts on it. So I've got a couple things still to do. Uh, Troy, do you want to? Roll into your news first. Sure. I have, and I'm sure people have already heard this already because, you know, we are the, see, we seem to be the ones that that talk about news last, but that's fine. Um, I have some new TSR news as it, as in the new TSR, not old TSR. Mm -hmm. And you TSR. And yeah. yeah, And you TSR. Um, Apparently it has been alleged by an individual that Justin Lanasa, the guy that one of yep. the owners of New TSR, um, uh, basically breached his own customers, like identity breached. Hmm. He had he had some kind of a spreadsheet of his customers, his customer base, with their names, addresses, phone numbers, and credit card information on an unencrypted spreadsheet that he emailed to somebody. And this person, and I don't remember this person's name. Like I said, there's other news places out there that have better information than I do. But this person was like, hey, this this dude just did this. He just sent all your stuff out. And, and Lanasa is trying to say that it is, it, it is a, a Photoshop document, that he never did anything like that. And it's, you know, mm. yada, yada, yada. Um, 
and then all you know, and then of course, uh, Wizards of the Coast has uh, started the proceedings with uh, litigating the pants off of new TSR. But I, I just thought that was it was rather newsworthy to find out that uh, he just gave data away like that. And it, it just makes absolutely no sense. And it's one of those things where I believe it because putting all that information on a spreadsheet unencrypted is, is stupid, but I can see somebody doing it. I can see somebody sending that in an email to somebody. What I can't hmm. see is some person making up the story that someone was dumb enough to make a spreadsheet and then send it out. Cause nobody would believe it. You know, it's kind mm-hmm. of one of those things, but so, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, uh, new TSR, uh, just, just another example of their blunders in a series of, uh, blunders that they are committing. Um, and it's really a shame. Uh, I, I I hate the idea of them crapping all over the name TSR, the the company that brought us Dungeons and Dragons to begin with. Um, and, and it's sad that they're crapping all over that legacy and making it mm. such a joke and such a a garbage pile. But you know it is what it is. And uh, yeah, like Andrew says, Wizards is bringing the hammer down. And uh, hopefully, hopefully that will, you know, it's just, it's just a, just a bunch of stupid stories coming out of this. It's ridiculous. Mm. But mm. yeah, that's my news. What? Interesting. Well, I had two pieces of news and then I cannot find the article that I was looking at. So one of these is going to be a rumor. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to put a big disclaimer that Zach may have been having an aneurysm when I read this article an hour ago. Um, I could have swore I saw that Cyberpunk Red is getting a free little quick start thing that's going to be released. So I'm trying to find that article. I haven't found it yet. But I'm pretty sure it's out there somewhere that that's coming. Um, And I'd love to give you a source, but I can't find it. So keep your eyes out. But um, yeah, keep your eyes out. As I understand. That's right. I feel like it said it was coming to drive through RPG and it was going to be a, it was going to be like a one shot intro, little quick start adventure. Um, so bear with me as I, as I fail you all. Um, maybe Troy will find it while we're talking, but the other article that I wanted to point you to, and I'm going to post this into our, our stream chat here. Uh, Polygon put out an article yesterday called the fork in the road facing third-party tabletop rpgs that's not really what this is about okay but it's an interesting article anyways um so looking at that you see the fork in the road facing third-party tabletop rpgs i don't even know what they're trying to say um because what is a third-party tabletop rpg uh would that be something like, you know, uh, Cobalt Press's Midgard? Is that a third-party... Well, so that's a third-party uh, tabletop RPG creator. A third-party publisher. But this title says, facing third-party tabletop RPGs, which is a small thing. Like I said, it's not accurate, but um, dive in and we're going to find it out, right? Um, 
And then the subtitle is Designers Say D&D's Walled Garden Approach to Indie Creation Can't End Well. I'm not even sure what that statement is trying to say because I, th I think they're just like indie isn't. This article has a lot of interesting things to say, but you need to read past the title and the subtitle to get to it. Um, uh, <laughs> so this article starts off with talking about the open gaming license, the history of the open gaming license. Nothing okay. new there that you haven't read before. It then dives into a 10-paragraph interview with Matthew Whitby. And you know who Matthew Whitby is, right, Troy? He is yeah. a creator on the DMs Guild, right? Um, and that 10-paragraph interview is Matthew Whitby basically saying that he writes for the DMs Guild almost exclusively, and he's found success there, and he likes the community, and he likes being able to write for D&D World's um, you know, Forgotten Realms or whatnot, and he's excited about Spelljammer finally being there. But his interview kind of ends with, um, and, and it also has Chris Bissett uh, being interviewed here as well, and he's kind of the guy that okay. has played both sides of the of the garden wall, right? He's been on the DMs Guild, but he's also written Morkborg and everything else, right? Um, <clears throat> uh, what I was going to point to is... Um, a couple of paragraphs. I want to read you a couple things. Uh, Whitby says he doesn't think Wizards of the Coast is interested in actively cultivating its garden, though. Its garden being uh, Dungeon Master's Guild. Um, he mentions the guild's sporadic promotion of titles on social media catching creators by surprise, even though the act can turn a middling launch into a breakout success via Spotlight alone. The guild's license also prohibits creators from using certain properties, forcing them to choose among an approved list. Popular alternative settings such as Spelljammer and Planescape were not on the list until after Wizards of the Coast announced its own official books. I Yeah, and we, we kind of knew that. Here we go. Um, then Chrisette, Chris Bissett, the designer behind solo journaling game Sensation the Wretched, uh, is a rare instance of someone who came from inside the Garden of the Guild but left, their, left to create their own games. They are sympathetic to Guild creators attempting to foster community under the legal thumb of a corporation because they say it could all end tomorrow if Wizards of the Coast so chose. Uh, Bissett expects the launch of D&D's next iteration, one D&D, to sound the death knell for the Dungeon Masters Guild, as Hasbro consolidates digital toolset, D&D Beyond, and other assets closer to the corporate chest. They point to the shuttering of first the WotC forums, and then the online content subscription service D&D Insider, as proof that the company has a history of leaving scorched earth and maroon creators in the wake of D&D's iteration. Polygon reached out to Wizard of the Cult multiple times to participate in the story, but the company declined to comment. Now we're into the interesting parts, and there's more after this. But what do we think about Chris and Matthew kind of, you know, sound, ringing the alarm bell about the guild? I, w I will say, okay, I agree with, with Matthew in that they're, they're, the way they do things is very sporadic. There's not a, uh, there's not a, a, a rhyme or reason, it seems like, a lot of the times as far as how they promote things, but that could change with what's coming down the pike. Um, and the fact that the guild license prohibits creators from using certain properties. Well, duh, if they don't have, if they don't have an official 
Dark Sun released, they don't want a bunch of people, random people creating their own versions of Dark Sun, calling them Dark Sun, and putting them on this thing. Because, right. you know, Whit- Matthew Whitby could do a Dark Sun, and it's completely different mm-hmm. than Chris Bissett's Dark Sun, which is completely mm-hmm. different than Robert Aducci's Dark Sun, and on down mm-hmm. the road. You have you have nothing to base it on until you have mm-hmm. an official product that you want to base your adventures on. You don't get mm-hmm. to because they might, they might change stuff just like what we've seen all, them change already in some of the, the classic settings that are coming, that are coming, you know, the, the, the Dragonlance stuff. There's, there's changes from that. Um, the Spelljammer stuff, there was changes in that. So, of course, you can't do anything until they have released their official version. Then you can kind of do what you want and change some stuff around and give alternative takes and things like that. Now, as far as Bissett saying that he thinks it's the death knell, I, I ask, what would the point of that be? Wizards of the Coast is getting free money from all of the people that put stuff on DM's Guild. And they just bought DM's Guild too, right? Or something of that nature didn't, yeah. I mean, well, it, people buy no, things they, to close they, them down from time to time. That, that's buy, true. Um, but no, they didn't. I don't think they bought it. They made. They made. They made a deal. Roll or, twenty bought it. Roll twenty bought it. Yeah, Roll twenty bought it. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, that's my fault. But I. But again, I don't. Maybe they will. Maybe they will shut it down. I don't know. But why would you want to close down your, a revenue stream like that? I mean, because it doesn't cost anything for them to post. For, for people, you know, creators to post items on there. Mm-hmm. But every time yeah. something sells, yeah. puts a little bit of money in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Why, why take that away? Yeah. I don't, I like this article came out of left field for me because I hadn't really thought about the guild changing. Um, and so, like, like uh, we've talked about one D and D a lot, but I, I don't think we'd ever talked mm-hmm. about the idea of like one D and D changing the guild. Um, and it's an interesting thought. I don't know that I feel like it's a death knell. That said, um, yeah, it might start to feel dated if Watsy starts pushing hard into virtual play, virtual tabletops, D and D Beyond, and starts putting a lot of focus on their digital marketplaces, D and D Beyond. DM's Guild may feel like the old hat, right? Um, well, that's for people who don't, you know, that's, you know, people, you know, I could see like, well, most players use D&D Beyond and virtual tabletop D&D. But, you know, if you don't want to, if you don't have the money to go for the official angle, or if you just don't want to dive into that place, then, you know, the, the old hangers on still use the DM's Guild and roll 20 over here, right? Um, Will that be how, or will that, that be I at mean, least how Watsy pitches it, right? Or how it feels. I could definitely see a statement coming from somebody at Watsy that's like, you know, a statement that's like, hey, we, we have no intention of shutting down the DMs Guild. The DMs Guild serves a great purpose in giving people access to our previously released content for other editions. We support all creators who want to develop things for our older editions on those platforms. Right. I could see them putting out a statement like that. And while that statement keeps the guild alive, it also says we've moved on past the guild and we're doing the fun new stuff over here in our playground. You guys are still welcome to go play at the old playground. Possibly. 
I think the only way that it's a it's a death knell for the for the DMs Guild is if Wizards does their own in-house DMs Guild and just says, "Hey, whatever's on there is on there now." But if you want all the new stuff, come here and post stuff here. Yeah. But again, well, it's already kind of. I mean, yeah. and that, and that would only be. Yeah, it would only be the, they would only do that to cut out the uh, portion of the profit that goes to one bookshelf, which is like twenty percent. Yeah, which I mean, it's not insubstantial, but again, it's also your. We you know Wizards is also doing nothing to earn. Oh, that I agree. Money. So I think that at most they will just say we're moving past it, but it's going to stay there. We're going to let people develop for it. Have fun. We're going to go play elsewhere. They've already basically done that by handing off all, pretty much all Adventures League stuff to other people. So what is official Watsi releases that will be on the DM Guild moving forward? Nothing. There won't be any new. As far as I can understand, like mm-hmm. the Adventures League stuff was the last thing that Watsi was doing that was actually going on the Guild. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess because well, I guess some of the stuff that they put was was actually officially. AL and it's not even be. truly official. Yeah, like the yeah. but they they've shut down the AL adepts are are the um, DMs Guild adepts the guild, program. The guild adepts, yeah, they've they've winded down the AL admin book writing stuff that doesn't happen anymore, and now they've handed off AL. So I don't know that we're going to see any new official Watsi publications on the DMs Guild as it stands. Now, and that Baldman will be releasing and organized play platforms will be releasing official al modules but those are designed they basically licensed out <laughs> that right oh yeah. anyhow i i don't know i i kind of i kind of look at it as the same thing as the you know the argument with the backwards com- compatibility and why i think it will actually you know one D will be backwards compatible in in as much as fifth edition D is currently compatible within itself because that mm-hmm. is an argument to be had that D and D five E right now isn't compatible with D and D five E seamlessly. <laughs> yeah, but <clears throat> so you know what? However, you want to take that. Yeah, yeah. Well, so this article continues on. So it's this article is really divided into three sections. Well, maybe four sections, but three types of publisher. The first publisher is Watsi with the green wall, right? And now they want to talk about the next type of publisher, which is green-thumbed publishers. And they point to uh, Modiphius, Fandom, and Cortex as being green-thumbed publishers. And they talk about, uh, and most of this article is about Modiphius in this section. Uh, There's a quote from Chris Birch, the owner of Modiphius, that says, The World Builders, which is their, well, yeah, World Builders is the same as the Dungeon Masters Guild. World Builders being their upcoming Dungeons Masters Guild-like thing. Um, Modiphius will hold seminars aimed at teaching young game designers the skills and acumen they need to succeed in exchange for a 10% royalty on all major sales. The company will also provide rules consultation during development and marketing and promotion support post-launch. Uh, if you want to stand out and do something a bit different, and you happen to like our system, we're going to earn our keep in the cut that we take by really helping you become more successful. We hope so anyway. That's there's it's a very short section but basically the pitch is well, these companies aren't 
quite as much of a gatekeeper as Watsy. They, but they still want to have their hand in the pie, right? They still have guidance on how you use their stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and sure, whatever. Um, uh, that's yeah. fine. I, I think that that's accurate. Then comes the the last thought piece of this article, which they boldly call a fenceless future. And they point to Apocalypse World, powered by the Apocalypse, um, who try, who uh, have never once tried to tie their landmark creation to a license. Um, then they talk about Morkborg, arguably pushing the permissible license into more public spotlight when they launched their curated fan creation zine, Morkborg Cult. And it talks about the Morkborg license being completely open. They have a quote from Johan Noor that says, the easiest way to just open it up completely and say, the game is yours, do whatever you want with it. As long as it's not bigoted bullshit, go for it. Or NFTs. Um, <laughs> I like it. And then he says, uh, it's almost like we invited people to play the game with us. Co-own it. Making stuff together is like playing Morkborg together. There's no one controlling what comes out but it becomes this horrible, beautiful amalgamation that we can never have made ourselves. If two people could make a neat game, imagine what a thousand can do. From there, it talks about uh, <laughs> Mothership, and it talks about Into the Odd, and it talks about Warframe, and it talks about uh, Troika and Blades in the Dark. And all of these indie publishers or indie de designers who have basically opened up their license completely. Caveat being that some of the things that they mention as being opened up completely aren't really opened up completely. So don't take this article and go run off and make a thing and say, well, Polygon told me. Uh, Polygon's wrong in a couple of spots. It's not, they're not horribly wrong, but do your research um, before you listen to everything there. It's interesting to me, though, that Polygon, or at least the writer of this article, really imagines the ideal world that we have as an RPG community is one with no fences. Hmm. Interesting. I struggle with that a little bit. I do too. I'd love to like, like I'm curious to see why you struggle with it. I'm also curious if chat has any thoughts about it as well. I struggle with it because, uh, for systems like, like Morkborg and I mean, let's just say let's, for the sake of argument, everything in the article is true. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. So whatever mistakes that they did make, we say they didn't. Um, minor, anyways. Yeah, yeah the minor ones. Uh, so Morkborg, Mothership, Troika, all those gate, all those systems that they listed are completely open. You can use whatever you want as long as it's not bigoted bullshit or NFTs. Great. Mm -hmm. Those systems benefit from that. Why? Because they're not D and D. They're not in control of eighty to ninety percent of the market share of the role playing game industry. They can afford to do that. Um, you, because that all that does is increases their their stake at the table. D and D cannot do that. D and D cannot just open up their fences and say, "Have at it! You can have whatever you want," because they have IPs involved. They have all of this Ooh. stuff that they have to make sure that you're not destroying with your with your works because they have they are the biggest kid on the block. I love I love what you said. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to reference a paragraph here that I didn't read because it ties in exactly with what you just said there. 
Uh, it's going back to Chris Bissett, and it says, Bissett thinks Modiphius and Cortex's model, inspired so heavily by the Dungeon Master's Guild, misses the point of community building. They can't see licensed games, which lie at the heart of all these newer walled gardens, and so all of a sudden, Modiphius and Cortex and Fandom don't have green thumbs. They are now newer walled gardens, right? They don't. They can't see licensed games, which lie at the heart of all these new walled gardens, creating the same loyalty and respect as Blades in the Dark or Troika. That is silly. Very much so. Um, I'm. I love Bissett's work. I don't think he's silly. I think this statement is silly. I think that indie creators and certain aspects of our community respect Blades in the Dark and Troika a lot. But I would lay a lot of money down that Troika has a minuscule community compared to an IP community that Modiphius has or whatever, right? Um, Conan yep. or Fallout have a bigger community than Troika, and that's how it will always be, almost certainly, right? One of these RPGs might rise up, flower, and become the next D&D, but almost certainly not. Right, that's probably and, not going to be what happens. And when they do, and if they do, they will not be completely open anymore. Because if you take, let's say, somehow uh, Modiphius loses the Conan license, mm-hmm. and Morkbork picks it up, mm-hmm. guess what happens to that open Morkborg license? It now becomes, you can write whatever you want, but you can't write Conan. Why? Because it's an IP and we owe, we, we need to put a gate around the IP because there's contracts involved. IP has value. IP has value. You, if you do something, you can't do this and make, you know, turn Conan into a, you know, uh, uh, whatever or, or yeah. kill him off or, or what, you know, all this other stuff. Why? Because you have to protect that IP. So what they're, they're not comparing the same things in this article. Well, let's 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 break down. They have to protect that IP. I like so so. Chaos uh, Eight. Andrew says it's a nice idea to have the open thing, but in practice, it probably wouldn't work out super well. And I agree because why does no one have a high opinion of drive-through RPG? Because if you go there, what is it? It's diluted. The only reason that the only times you go to buy stuff there is if a creator points you there directly, right? Yeah. If they're like, yeah. "Hey, my new mothership module is available on drive through You go when you buy that. But very few people go like peruse drive through on yeah. a regular basis because it's diluted. And, and, and le- dil- unless you're going to drive, like you said, for a, a specific thing, like I'm going, like back in the day, one hundred percent, I'm going to drive through RPG. Why? Because I'm going to search for some some paper minis to buy and download. Yeah, yeah. I have a reason. Right, I'm not, exactly. I'm not browsing the aisles of drive through RPG. Yeah, and I think the same thing is true when you let's let's use because I mentioned it earlier. Let's use Fallout. I would love to have a lot of Fallout uh, content supplements. Right. Um, I would love to. And there would undoubtedly be some amazing ones mm-hmm. that came out if you opened it up to the community completely. But there would also be, for every amazing one, there'd be nine trashy ones. And what that would eventually oh, yeah. turn into is just like it is on the DMs Guild, where just because it says Forgotten Realms doesn't mean I'm going to buy it. Because 
I, you know, been bitten a couple times there, right? And you don't always know what you're going to get. And so oh, yeah. the brand name of Forgotten Realms is diluted by the DMs Guild. Not saying that it's tarnished irreparably yes. or anything like that, but it's diluted. While that is okay to some extent for Watsy, because they're making money off the dilution still, right? As we said earlier. Mm-hmm. The amount of money that Bethesda yeah, yeah. <laughs> would make off of your or anyone's third party um, content sold on Modifius's website is so small. They have zero interest in allowing their brand identity to be diluted for a few tens of thousands of dollars a year. <clears throat> and it bothers me yeah, that it, that's it, it, the it comparison that. that we're making here. Yeah, yeah. I just, it like this, I think that's where I get frustrated with this article is if, if the article was going to stick to RPG systems should all have an open gaming license, I think I could find that interesting. I think that's an interesting mm-hmm. topic. I don't know that I would put my foot down and fight a war over it, but I think it'd be an interesting discussion. But implying that certain companies are less focused on community engagement or or building up communities or helping indie creators because they sell licensed games is a silly argument to make. Very much so. That it's it's that garbage argument or that garbage philosophy of oh my I loved this band back in the day, but then they sold out because they got a record deal and started playing instead of playing shows where they were playing to like a hundred people in a dive bar, now they're playing stadiums to, you know, tens of thousands of people. They sold out. They're no good anymore. They they've they've turned their back on their fans. No. They just got a shit ton more fans that are putting more money in their pocket and and gonna make sure that more people hear their music. Yeah, and that's what's going on yeah. right here. Because any one of these, any one of these small companies, smaller companies that have amazing RPG systems out there that we all love to play and create for, as soon as they, as soon as they get picked up by, you know, let's say Mattel buys them up. I don't even know if Mattel still exists anymore, as as it, <laughs> like it used to. But let's say Mattel buys them up and gives them the Hasbro Watsy D and D five E treatment. And now they're making millions of dollars for their company. You better believe they're going to start closing off their their garden walls, you know, so to protect it from a bunch of putzes right in garbage, just like you said. So this article, while very interesting, is very short sighted. You're 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 making straw man arguments. You're you're comparing apples to oranges. On almost in every paragraph. Yeah, the ending statement says SRDs or whatever their next form might look like. We'll comment about that in a second. Uh, may provide fledgling artists waystones through an open field instead of fence posts around private property. First off, <laughs> an SRD is a different thing than an OGL. Uh, so. What you're mm-hmm. saying there is the free resource document that Watsi puts out helps you navigate like that. That statement doesn't make any sense. But let's pretend you said OGLs instead of whatever instead of SRDs. Even then, they're not providing fledgling artists wastestones through an open field instead of blah 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 blah. It is two paths. It is two areas. It is the urban environment 
around IPs and is the open field of indie publishing. And there will never, I don't think, mm-hmm. ever be one exclusively. And there is not, there should not be one exclusively. No. Because we don't want to live in a world where no IPs get the RPG treatment. And we don't want to live in a world where every RPG is an IP. Um, so, and and to be honest, Very true. like, I want there to be big RPG companies that put up walls because those walls and that bigness is what allows them to have the money and have the clout and have the, um, the prestige level for IP holders of million billion dollar properties to hand their property off to a little corner of the entertainment industry called TTRPGs, right? Like, Ain't no way that Star Wars, that Disney is going to hand Star Wars to a, uh, at this point, to a a, a design studio is like, well, we're going to open it up. Never going to happen. And they shouldn't, um, I don't think. Um, yep. I don't know. I feel, <sighs> I love all the people that are interviewed in this article. I love all the products that they mention in this article. Everything about, every, every, yeah proper noun in this thing is great (laughs) i just don't think that we should be comparing them in this way (sighs) all right i don't don't, don't think so either okay (laughs) well that was a news topic believe it or not that wasn't even our our uh our topic for the evening (laughs) oh man and you know why (sighs) because we do what we Mm. want could we do what we want? That's right. Uh, but we owe Andrew a little bit of Spelljammer's chat we before we uh, get out of here. Um, and I think you said during our live stream on Sunday that everybody else is are kind of talk Spelljammer to death. But um, maybe we should refill our cups, and when we get back, we can uh, we can put our own two cents into the Spelljammer well. Put your money where our mouth is. Or something. Let's restart. John, Troy, and myself get an itch to do some writing every once in a while, and when that happens, we publish it through World of Game Design. Head on over to store.wogd.com to find books like Oceanic Depths, Scrap Rats, and Motherload that feature design by your delightful and charismatic hosts. Again, that's store.wogd.com. W-O-G-D dot com. And we're back. All right. Let's talk Spelljammer. Uh, so, where do we want to start with Spelljammer Adventures in Space, Troy? Uh, I don't know. I mean, because there's been some controversy late, lately, and I don't. I really don't want to hash it. I mean... It, I don't care about the, that at all. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I I mean I do, but I don't. I don't want to talk about it because you know other other places have talked about it enough. I don't think we need to. Um mm-hmm. I want to say I want to I want to say that you know starting out that that the Spelljammer box set is very pretty. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's mm-hmm. really it's really cool. I will also say that I still don't think it needs to be a box set or a slipcase or whatever you want to call it. 
All right, Troy. All right. All right. Um, because I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Well, because it, you gave us three books that should have probably just been one. It didn't need to be broken out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And if you look at some of the other books, uh, the past books in 5e that are similar in, in the idea of what this is, they're so much better than what Spelljammer mm-hmm. is. Spelljammer mm-hmm. is a cool IP, you know, a, a cool property. It has great ideas in it. Um, and it can give you so much, but it doesn't. If you go and you look at uh, Eberron, the 5e Eberron is packed with stuff to help you run Eberron cam- campaigns from now till the end of time. Um, <laughs> and it's all in one book. And mm-hmm. it didn't get a slipcase and it didn't get an extra GM screen and all, and all, all these other, other doodads and hoo-hahs. Um, which, you know, if you like those things, that's great. Um, I, I don't think we need that. It, it, in, uh, it, you know, it it has a, a, an adventure starts off at fifth level, assuming that you're starting off, um, with characters that know nothing about the Spelljammer world. Mm -hmm. And you come and you get scooped up and then you're thrown into the world of Spelljammer. Kind of cool. You know, they don't help you with, like, here's an on-road. Here's an on-ramp yeah. for this campaign. Um, maybe if they put they something... Say like, like, yeah, they fam- say, like... Yeah. They say, we we think you need to start with a starter set and then do this, basically, right? Yeah. That's that's the that's the statement in the book. And, and that's, and that's Which, fine. Sure, I guess. I think it... It's this weird pitch that I think that they have, and I don't like it. I mean, it's a it's an agenda. I don't agree with the agenda, but it's nice to know that they have an agenda. Um, <laughs> but like their their vision, I guess agen- vision's better than agenda. Their vision is that every player that comes into D anD D starts with the starter set. Well, that I mean, they said that. If, that would be great if we current, you know, if we had. A supported starter set right now. We don't because Fandolin has been stopped, and the new one has just come out. So I don't know how I don't know how well the new set new starter set feeds into this. If it if it is, I don't know. But yeah, it's like, but not everybody does. If that's the case, if that's the if that's the statement that every every group needs to start off with the starter set, then why isn't every hardback adventure? Fifth level and beyond, and yeah, and, and Andrew is Andrew's saying that the out, academy is yeah. the on ramp. No, it's not. It is totally not the on ramp. Why? Because the academy adventures are coming at you as if you are already part of the Spelljammer world and you know everything about it, and you you're you're learning how to be on a Spelljammer. Then the hardback book, the the adventure in the slipcase, starts you off not knowing anything about Spelljammer and your fifth level on a world yeah, that's not in there. So you could, Yeah, you, you would have to take a wrench and kind of un- unhook some bolts and kind of yes. refiddle if you wanted it to be a smooth thing. I, I agree, Andrew, that I think that Spelljammer Academy is a great on-ramp great. to the idea of Spelljammer. 100% agree with you. 
Um, I think that it would have been nice. It feels like to me that they wrote the book and then somebody said, well, how do we get people in? And they said, oh, well, we wrote in the book that you play through one of the starter adventures because that was our design goal, right? Like that's, that's what we've said as a company is that we want people to play through a starter set before they do anything else. And, um, uh, so I feel like that was the statement. And then somebody smart, somebody smart at wizard said, well, but if you want to play spell jammer, you want to play spell jammer. I don't know that you want to play six months of, you know, uh, lost minds of Fandelver before you get to play spell jammer. And they said, we needed a, a, a series of adventures that allow you to play spell jammer from the beginning. And I think that's a great statement. I think that there was just this weird, like a memo got lost that said, let's make sure that these adventures lead into the adventure in the book. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was just like, yeah, but we really can't. Be- you know, maybe it's like, well, but we've already written the book and it doesn't really line up um, um, perfectly. Um, uh, uh, uh. This says, so I, I'll be, I'll be honest. Like I have read a chunk of the adventure the starting adventure i haven't read a lot of Spelljammer academy so i don't know how much this is true so andrew you may know better than i do and troy you may do as well if you look at the end of Spelljammer academy on dnd beyond it says the adventure doesn't stop here the fate of the world is at stake and the adventures are well suited to take on the challenge of saving it the first adventure in Spelljammer adventures in space picks up the action right where the story left off um yeah if you'd like to keep your adventure set in the Forgotten Realms, or if you're running these adventures as part of the DW Adventures League Forgotten Realms campaign, begin Light of Xerxes in Neverwinter. So, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, so I guess what I'm saying here is that there are more knowledgeable people than me about how these, how well these two can mesh. I'm, I'm looking at it from how largely how the book presents the opening. Mm-hmm. And how what I have seen of Spelljammer Academy. So, uh, 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 I apologize if I'm if I if I got it wrong. Uh, yell at me all you want, and I'm happy to to, to post a redaction, or a retraction, um, or a subtraction. <clears throat> let me let me tell you, I've got some good things that I can say about Spelljammer. Is that yeah. is it all right if we we hit if we hit the people with some good stuff? <laughs> I don't know that they'll know what to do with that. That's yeah. Um, I think that the first book in the series, the Astral Adventures Guide, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is great. Okay, having read most of it, I love most of it. Um. I think the ship section is exactly what I wanted from Spelljammer. There's a huge variety of ships. They've all got great artwork. It's evocative. Um, I get excited just looking at it. Um, you know, I've started a Spelljammer campaign this week, and the players definitely got excited about looking at it. There's a map for every type of Spelljammer ship. That's a gridded map. Now it's not a. It's not a fully colored and detailed gridded map, but it's a gridded map and I love it. Um, I think that that section is 
amazing. Um, I think that by and large, the rules that that comes before that section, called the chapter called Astral Adventuring, is great. Okay. I just need a little bit more. Um, yeah, exactly. Because I dig it all, and I like their vision um, for the most part. I just feel like it's not a full setting where it is right now. Right. And and that's what I would say. It's like, you know, everything seems to be, it's like, it's just, it's just geared to support the, you know, this adventure that's included, you know, it's just, it's just almost its own little thing. Whereas, mm-hmm. uh, Van Richten's guide or, um, Eberron, it, it gives you so much more. It gives you yeah. so much lore and so much other things to, to do where I kind of feel like, well, you put it in three books to fill a slipcase because the covers are thicker than pages. And so now you've got, you know, what, one, two, three, four extra covers of width to fill out the space so you don't have to put a bunch of stuff like you've got in the Eberron book. I mm-hmm. and I and I'm disappointed because I wanted more. Spelljammer's cool. Yeah, I wanted more. Yeah, and you know they're I, not going to come back that, and revisit it. You're not. They're not going to give you. Yeah, this is it. More stuff. Yeah, they've already said that. This is it. Yeah. Um, I think the only part of this book that I don't understand, and I, I say this with all the love in the world, I don't understand the character options in this book. Um, right. Uh. The fact that we get six new races and only two new backgrounds and no new subclasses in in this is weird. Because you have to think about what do players want when they come to the table, right? Like, if you say, we're going to play Spelljammer, um, what are we... What are, what are the players getting excited about, right? And they're getting excited about being on these flying ships, these spell jammers, flying around in space, fighting pirates or big whales or whatever, right? Like, that's that's the dream. They aren't saying, I want to play as a plasmoid or a whatever, right? That's not part of that dream. They like the idea. I've never heard anyone that's not this. Correct, You know, there's probably people out there, I guess. But, um, like, they don't want to play as a plasmoid. They want to play as an elf. Riding on a space galleon, <laughs> wielding a scimitar and fighting off space orcs. I don't know, whatever. Um, and so, yeah. like, well, the only elves. two, yeah, Astral, uh, uh, the only two races that I feel like should have been in here are Thrykreen and Gifts, because those are the only two that, in my mind, a fifth edition player might have dreamed about playing in a Spelljammer setting, because those are not evil races that have already been presented that people have already said like, Oh, I, that would be fun to play. We should have had those two. We should have had 10 backgrounds because what we really need here is what does a spell jammer look like? What does someone who has adventured in space upon the astral sea, how is their life different than the people that are in the forgotten realms? And the best way to communicate that is with backgrounds. Um, and we get two, and that's fine, but we could have had mm-hmm. four or five times as many or as that. Or if not backgrounds, great... subclasses. 
subclasses. And I know that subclasses take time and they require balancing more than races and backgrounds. So if you just want to give us a couple, sure. But I, I, no sense to me how why they chose to do that, other than it's the easy button. Because it's super easy to build a race. It's, and it doesn't take a lot of balancing at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot harder to do anything else. Um, but I would give Astral Adventures Guide, if I'm just talking about the content as presented for a Watsy book, I think it's like a B, B plus. Like, yeah, I want more, but the content that's there is probably B, B plus. And I really think if I move on to the Astral Menagerie, I like a lot of the creatures that are in there. One of the things I like a lot is that they do kind of what they did in um, Van Richten's guide, right? Whatever the last one was, where they give us clusters of creatures. So they say, here are three different types of Neogies. Here's three different types Mm -hmm. of Plasmoids. Here's three different types of Space Hamster, right? Here's three three more Githyanki. I love that because... yes. I want my party to run up against a, uh, a, a spell jammer filled with plasmoids or Githyanki or Artooks, right? And yes. I don't want them to all feel the same. So this is exactly how I love my bestiaries to be. And I can't, like, I don't really have a big complaint about it other than it's not very big. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not sizable, tiny either. It's sizable. I'm, I mean, but it's not like, yeah. It's not a monster manual. Yeah, it's not a monster monster manual. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I I I think that this book could have been incredible with a Volos treatment. Yes, where we definitely. have this exact bestiary. Don't expand it. That's fine. But then we take the Thrycreen, and we say, "Here's what a Thrycreen hive looks like," or whatever. Right. Um, we take the GIF and we say, yeah, they don't have a home world anymore or whatever, but here's what, uh, you know, GIF, GIF on their ship, you know, look like, and this is what they do. And this is how they live in the, like, I would have loved sections like that. And that would have been the fodder that you want to help flush out campaigns in Spelljammer, exactly. right? If exactly. you had, yeah, uh, like to me, this is like, again, Great content, by and large. Super happy with it. B, B plus for Watsi, I think. Maybe even pushing into A, except that it feels like they hit the easy button again and said we can make monsters. But we only have so much room in the slipcase, and we don't really want to build a whole bunch of lore for this. So let's just put it over here, give you a shorter book. And if they want lore on the gifts, they can go find a third edition book. Um, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Easy button. Yeah, uh, I I don't really have any other thoughts on the uh, on the uh, on the bestiary. There is a couple of tables at the beginning, like D one hundred tables of like different encounters, but it doesn't have mm-hmm. most of them are just this many of this creature. I could have had, I could have probably raised my score a half a letter grade if it had been D one hundred tables full of two sentence encounters. That give just give hook. us, give me a hook. Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. Because like this here, the very first one on Wild Space Encounter. 
Uh, if you roll a one up to a three, you get one D4 Chewinga astronauts, each mounted on one space guppy. Now, for certain groups, that's that's a fun encounter, right? Like the idea of Chewingas on guppies is, sounds fun. Mm-hmm. It absolutely does. If you would have said Chewinga astronauts each man on a space guppy approach the party and blah 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 blah, they want such and such and such. Um, two sentences. Help the help the DM because this book doesn't help the GM know what to do with these. I don't know what right. how to communicate that in a motivation, right? And you could have done that. You could have done that really easy. So um, knee jerk reaction. You could have expanded those tables and got me halfway there. Uh, but that would have taken you more than an afternoon. <clears throat> um, so then we get to the adventure. What's your feeling on this adventure, Troy? Well, I mean, it seems like a cool a cool thing, but I argue again that they missed the mark because it starts off at fifth fifth level, and it is presupposing that you are on a home world that, well, at least you the player characters do not know about Spelljammer. Um, and like you said, mm-hmm. that doesn't make any sense because when you run a ge- campaign with Spelljammer, you want to run Spelljammer, not six months of a different adventure. Um, and if, and if you're, and if you're saying that the Academy adventures are your lead in, well, then that goes against the idea that you don't know about Spelljammer and, but you're able to play, well, you know, the Hedozi, the 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 Plasmoid, and all that stuff. But you're going to be on the Forgotten Realms, so you know it starts. It starts off that there's too much that that I now have to work on. So, so I'll I'll dive in real quick. Uh, so, I think the where to begin section is telling, and I don't want to linger on this too much. But the where to begin section says. Um, basically you start in a coastal city or port town, yada, yada, yada. Um, it says if you use the lost minds of Fandelver, uh, or dragons of Ixpire peak to get the characters to fifth level, then light of exorcist begins in the same region and featuring those adventures. There's zero mention of Spelljammer Academy in the section of the book that tells you how to start this, this campaign. So that to me tells me that in the line of development, this book was sent to the printer before Spelljammer Academy was written, or yeah, was started. Um, because otherwise, all it would have taken is you add a quick line that's like, or you have participated in the Spelljammer Academy Adventures League, right? Uh, so I, 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 that's just a little note, but that it was kind of eye-opening to me because I, I, it's not the end of the world. I'm happy to merge those adventure lines together but it was a kind of an inside peek into the design timeline of watsi because 100 that should be there and it's not and the only reason it's not has to be timing um andrew's saying the intro for that adventure is you're eating your your world gets attacked you run into the you run to the spell jammer ship and escape and then there's combats there's not like tutorial part or anything gotcha okay cool Hmm. And, and, yeah, I I get that. I get that. But that doesn't that doesn't smooth over the inconsistencies with with the way this is written. The, to me, this is just another one of the ways that Watsi kind of fumbles with their adventures, um, where they don't think things through all the way. 
I'm, you know, for for this particular box box set, slipcase, whatever you want to call it, it costs seventy dollars, right? I'm paying seventy dollars, mm-hmm. and I now have to go and figure out how to make either the uh, the the Spell, Spelljammer Academy fit into this, or I have to decide. Well, I'm going to go ahead and run six months of of another thing before we ever get to Spelljammer, and I hope my players are okay with it. You're not making it any easier for me to run this adventure. That's what these adventures are supposed to be able to do. You're supposed to grab them, read through them, and run them. Not grab them, retool the crap out of them, put them on blocks, change the tires, and and all this other stuff, and then run it. Unless that's what you want to do. But mm-hmm. Well, that's, that should be up to the DM, you know, where the DM reads a, a nice, complete adventure and goes, you know what, I'm going to tweak and twist and stuff like that. One of the things that I noticed, um, and, and this was kind of a surprise for me, um, this book is only written by four people, which I expected there to be a lot more um, <clears throat> as a note. Um, I, and that I guess that's just the adventure, I believe. I think the adventure is written by four people, um, and maybe that makes more sense. Um, the, the setting guide is written by Jeremy Crawford, Chris Perkins, and one other person. Um, and so that, that's a tight crew. And then, uh, the beast theory is written by two people. Um, <clears throat> so <clears throat> I guess, I guess where I'm getting at is like, um, I think this is a singular vision and I think that it is a cool vision. Um, and as far as the adventure goes, as much as I've read of it, I like by and large, and I like there's more setting stuff in the adventure. So if you if you dive into the adventure, you'll get more things to explore. Like they talk about doom space and things like that in there that you don't see in the setting guide. So um, you know, reading that even if you just read the adventure, you'll get inspiration and more places to go to. So that's great. I really feel like this is like a, a it's a focused product. It's a quality product. It's just a very abbreviated product, I guess, is where I'm sitting. Yeah. It, and I guess that's the that's the bothersome part. You don't... This is an entire... I mean, this isn't just a setting. This isn't just a world. This is the Star Wars of D&D. <laughs> and yes, you have other, you know, other worlds that you can, you know, glom onto and, and are included in this that you've already got information for. But this, you know, you need to have a lot of cool stuff, a lot of cool information to really give it a good go to really make. And if you don't have, let's say you don't have access to the old stuff, you know, now it's incumbent upon the DM to put forth a lot of extra effort to make all of this, this grand galaxy and all these other things a thing. Where at, you know, mm-hmm. but it, but it's too tightly focused. It, it it it's it's almost, you know, yeah, we understand that it's, this is galaxy spanning, but we're gonna be right down the line. We're only gonna we're only gonna mm-hmm. talk about this, but we're not gonna talk about anything else out there. We're just gonna talk about this, mm-hmm. and that's why I say there needed mm-hmm. to be, you know, take it out of that stupid slipcase. Give us a three hundred page book, and you know, make it cool. Give us a lot of stuff because again. 
they're not coming back to it. They're not going to bring us another, you know, a, the captain's guide to, to spell jammers. The, or they're not going to bring us adventures to continue on down the road. This is yeah. it. This is all we got. Let me, except for what gets put out on DM's guild. I think this is a timing thing. I think this is, I think the more I look at it, the more I think about it, the more I feel like this is a, hey, I know we have big dreams about Spelljammer, but if you could only write an adventure or a setting guide or a setting book, which one would you do? And, you know, Chris Perkins or whoever was like, that's not how Spelljammer works. You have to have it all because it's a whole new thing. And we want an adventure and we want to do all that, but we can't do that without a setting yada 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 and they're like well but the release schedule before 1 D allows for a spell jammer release so how are you going to work this and to me this feels like and i think we're gonna yeah, get the same with be. planescape I mean, where they're like well if we can only have one i guess let's do it this way let's 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 make it like this and <clears throat> i feel for them because i I don't think that there's people at Watts. I, all right, let me rephrase that. I think that the writers at Watsy probably love Spelljammer and probably would love to write more content here. I think that they just are on a time crunch. And I think they've got a list of things that they got to get done before 2024. And they got to start crossing things off the list. And they said, we have three months to write this this section of stuff. So get done what you want to get done and let's do it. And they threw a focus team at it. They got something done. I'm like, all right, next thing. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, that that makes the most sense because it just, I mean, I, I can't imagine anybody at Watsy who's going to be 100% honest with themselves is going to look at this product and go, yep, we nailed it. We got it all. Nothing else needs to be written about this. You know, and you there's know, just no way. There's just no way. I mean, it's a good product, but it's not done. It's not complete. And it's also possible that, like, I know how it works. I know how it is. Like, sometimes you do the best with what you can do, and you say, can we write a book that at least does a thing? Well, we can write a book that tells an adventure and give you some ideas about Spelljammer. Well, if that's what we're going to do, then let's do that. And let's, let's have that purpose with our book. Right. Um, <clears throat> there's definitely been other books in the past that have failed worse <laughs> in, in, in various areas. Yes. Um, so I'm not saying that this isn't that, you know, that's not kudos to this book, right? It's to say that we all, sometimes we make mistakes and sometimes we say the product, as much as we want it to be a 10 with the resources at our disposal, we can only make it a six, but let's make it a, a nice six. Let's get a six out there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, Troy, um, I think this lag is killing us a little bit, and I think we've covered Spelljammer. Um, and I think we haven't oh, been so, so is. brutal on it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, because it's still it's still a good product. It's still it, it's got something to it. It it's still a lot of fun, but there's so many 
blank spots. I mean, and I'm not saying that the adventure has blank spots. I'm not saying that the astral guide has blank spots or the monster compendium has blank spots. I'm saying the the thing itself has so mm-hmm. many gaping holes where things are being are begging to be filled in. Now, maybe maybe what they're hoping for is a bunch of industrious uh, writers do stuff and put it on DMs Guild or something to that effect, and you know whatever. But I just you know I wanted more. Don't don't tar- don't charge mm. me seventy dollars for for something. Mm. You know. I I paid fifty bucks for the Eberron guide, and I got twenty times more content than what I got for paying See, seventy dollars for this. I love Eberron. I love Eberron. I love Oracle of War as a adventure path. I don't really like that book because I feel like that book skimps on player options and it skimps on adventure. It's a big setting guide, and that's useful for a lot of people. Yes. But that book is not a pick-up-and-go book, right? It is a, it is a here's all the tools, go make stuff, right? Um, and I feel like this book right. is a, you know, this book is a, a, is a model train <laughs> that's like a snap-together model train. And it's like, you can make something. Like, we've already, we've assembled all the pieces necessary to make this model train. Go for it. Whereas Eberron is like, here's a bucket full of Legos. Make whatever you want. Right. And and that's and that that's kind of my, my thing. Because, you know, Spelljammer, it gives you, it gives you that one toy and mm-hmm. not a lot of ideas to play with that toy. True. Whereas Belgium, but I've def- or whereas Eberron, it kind of gives you a much smaller toy, but a lot more stuff that you can do with it. And I would, I don't know, I, yeah. I would rather have that because that way, that way, with the idea of DMs Guild, you're going to get cool content because people are going to pick up on those on those hooks and those stories and and all of that lore that's in there, and they're going to give you more stuff to play yeah. with whereas spelljammer it requires you to go back to the old stuff to find some hooks to pull into the modern day to then make more stuff to put on dm's guild to go do and it's like don't don't charge me a premium and make me do more work yeah i oh, we got to wrap it up but i i do feel like like if this was one book and it was a $50 book, I'd probably be, I'd still feel like it was incomplete mm-hmm. in some ways, but it's more of what I like out of a setting book than Eberron. Because I feel like, like if I'm a new DM who knows nothing about Eberron, Eberron is not helpful. It, I mean, it gives me a lot of cool ideas, but it doesn't like the, the key piece of that is missing, which is show me what an adventure is. Give me, you know, set, set my feet on the right path. Right. Like that's, that's, that's what I want out of every setting is show me what the setting looks like. Mm-hmm. Show me how stories feel different in here. Show me how all these pieces go together. If I want to break it apart and make something new later, that's great too, but I need an adventure. And, um, I, I, I appreciate that they at least, Gave us an adventure over here. I don't want to take that away from them. No, no. Yeah, it. 
it's maybe it maybe maybe they just heard me asking for more adventures and they're like, well, here, here's more adventures. And maybe if it was maybe more, I'm just maybe if it was more like Curse of Strahd, you know, where you've got setting mixed in with the with the grand adventure that takes you different places. Maybe that would have been a better. Yeah, a better avenue. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm hey, not mad. Let's I call it. I'm not mad. But yeah, I just want more. let's call it for the evening. Uh I think uh, I think this ship has run its course. The Spelljammer ship has run its astral course, um, and uh, I think we we need to call it. Uh, um, and let's see. I guess I'll. I guess I would say, hey, if you've made it this far, thank you, Troy. Thanks for hanging out with me uh, this evening, Andrew, Ulysses, and everyone else in chat. Appreciate you guys hanging out as well. And until Sunday, we'll see you next time. Play great games in the astral sea. You later. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. If you like this episode and you want to continue the conversation with us, go ahead and head on over to our Discord. There's a link in the show notes, and you can always shoot us a message on Facebook to get a link there as well. Uh, While you're at it, if you wouldn't mind, give us a like on Facebook, give us a subscription over here on your podcast feed, uh, give us a review and some stars while you're at it. That would be awesome. That's the way we get in front of more people. And if you want to watch a live show, we're live almost every Sunday and Tuesday on Twitch and YouTube, and you can find links to all of that right there in the Discord. We'll see you next time.